Genesis chapter 3, and if you don't have a Bible, then uh, the passage is printed there on the sheet that was in your seat. Alright, I need to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 21. So let's give our attention uh, this evening to the reading of God's Word. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your, hu- for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here. We thank you that you would speak to us. We know that, that these, in fact, are your words to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be with us tonight by, by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us your words, that you would show us something of yourself, 
that you would show us something of us. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us tonight and teach us about your grace and your mercy in Jesus. Lord, we pray expectantly knowing that you can and you will do that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before I go any further, again, as I will do every week, let me say, um, let me say thanks to uh, a couple of other people. Thanks to guys like Les Newsom, Tim Keller, uh, Ricky Jones, John Stone, guys that you don't know but that I'm obligated since I'm recording this to say that I've borrowed from their uh, material and they've helped me with this, so I'm just going to be upfront about that. This is not original. Um, so we're, we're studying through this semester at RUF. If you're going to stay with us, we're looking at, we're looking at the topic of, of everything, uh, everything relational, right? Dating, sexuality, marriage, uh, romance, sort of the, the whole thing, right? And basically what we're going to do every week is come together and see what the Bible has to say about those things. Um, and so last week... We introduced our study by talking about, uh, we said that, basically I tried to pitch to you the idea that we're, that we're all very confused about all those things, about dating and marriage and sexuality, right? That on the one hand, it's something that we long for uh, and that we, that we all desire, and yet at the same time, it's something that we, that we cheapen, right? And we, we sort of disdain it and we, we, uh, we don't treat it with respect, both of those happening at the same time. And I tried to pitch to you last week that that's because, on the one hand, we're built in God's image as relational creatures and we're built to experience relationship. And yet we're, relationships are really just the context uh, to carry out our real, our real purpose, uh, which is to take the kingdom of God and advance it across the earth. Right? And so this week... What I want to do is to take a few minutes. Last week, as we saw, that having a better understanding of creation, right? We looked at Genesis 1 and 2, how we were created, right? We tried to use creation to bring some clarity to this whole confusion of, uh, of dating and marriage and relationships. But I think that even if we're clear on creation, it's still pretty obvious that there's some problems, right? It doesn't take... It doesn't take much to know that that dating and relationships, relating to other people, is just hard. It's just difficult. And what I want to do tonight is to look at a, a little bit just to see why is that the case. Why is it so hard to date? Why does it get awkward, right? Why do you, why do you have to go through that stage where it's just weird with each other, where you're talking or you're not sure if you're talking, you don't... Uh, you know, why does Facebook have to have an it's complicated option, right? Um, why, do, why do marriages fail? Why do even the best of relationships have their ups and downs? Um, and, of course, it's not just necessarily uh, romantic relationships. We can, we can apply this to any other, you know, with our fraternity, sorority, brothers and sisters, our roommates, our parents, our friends. But we're specifically looking at uh, dating, sex, and marriage. Um, yeah, why is it so difficult? Because I think we need to we need to first c- have a good diagnosis of the problem before we can begin to think about the cure, right? Um, 
how can they be less difficult or can they be? So first we need to look at, we need to examine a little further about why is it so hard. And that's, I think, spelled out very, uh, very clearly for us in our passage. Um, our passage gives us a good diagnosis of our problem. And so I want to look at really three things. We're going to look at the fall, the fall of man, which we're going to talk about in just a second. And then for this week and next week, we're going to look at what I've called the fallout, right? Five, um, uh, five outworkings of the fall. Uh, five ways in which the fall has messed us up. How's that? So tonight we're going to do the fall and then look at the first two. Next week we'll look at three more. So our text tonight that we read in Genesis 3 is an account of what theologians call the fall of man, right? The fall of mankind. So last week we read that, that God has created, created a world, created mankind, created man and created woman, and it's, it's all perfect. He's got man as his, um, as his image bearer on earth to take his rule and reign as, as king over everything and to spread it across this earth. And he's put them in this sort of state park of a garden, right? This, this beautiful, perfect place. And so there you have man and woman and God all enjoying perfect relationship with one another. And everything's great. He's given them this garden to cultivate and enjoy. But it doesn't last very long. In fact, in some ways, it's shocking how short, how short it does last, right? Um, God had given Adam and Eve one instruction. He'd given them one, one prohibition and said, you may, not eat of any, you may not eat of the fruit of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? It's the one tree you can't eat of. You can eat of every other tree, but, not just, but just not this one. And so Satan in the form of a serpent, whatever that looks like, I have no idea, right? Don't trust the snake that talks. Comes along and interacts with Adam and Eve. And he says, uh, what does it say? He said, did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Right, you see what he did. That's not what God said. That's the way Satan approaches her, approaches Eve. And she responds by saying, no, uh, God said that we could eat of any tree except the one, and we shouldn't even touch it or we'll die. And so then the serpent gets really tricky, and he says, no, no, no. See, here's the deal. You're not going to die if you eat the fruit of that tree. The reason God told you that, that you would die, is because really, he knows that if you do eat it, then you'll be like him. And you'll have all knowledge, and then he won't really be God anymore. So Adam and Eve think it over for a little bit, uh, and they decide that... They begin to wonder if God's really, if that's true or not. Is God really holding back the good stuff from me? And so they think it over and they decide to eat. And as soon as they do, their eyes are opened, right? And they realize that they're naked and they hide from God. And so why is this event such a big deal? Why did just this, you know, the eating of this fruit result in all the judgment that we read, right, that affects me and you today. Well, we have to say that, first, it's not just that God is ticked off that I gave you this arbitrary rule and you, and you messed it up, and so he's just mad, right? That's not fundamentally what's going on. Uh, fundamentally, what's happened is that Adam and Eve have decided that they don't trust God anymore, 
They fundamentally decided to listen to another voice. They've decided to listen to themselves rather than the one that made them. They listen to their own voice. They begin to realize, they begin to think and then to, uh, to act out that, that they needed to take care of themselves first because they're not so sure that God's doing it. In other words, we can say that self-centeredness or selfishness entered the world right here. It entered the world through our first parents, and as a result, you and I, unfortunately, as their offspring, are born into that necessarily. By the, by the, by the very fact that you're a human being, you are necessarily, and so am I, an inherently selfish and self-centered creature. We want to take care of ourselves first, not anybody else. And so that's what's fundamentally wrong with our relationships and what, and what makes it so difficult. Because obviously to relate to another person, right? that's what a relationship is, if you're inherently selfish, which we all are, it's not going to work, right? We enter into any relationship, whether it's dating or any other one, primarily thinking, what can I get out of this? What can this do for me? And not the other way around. So this selfishness, it caused Adam and Eve to break fellowship with God. And since we're created to be in relationship with Him, and now we're not, then all sorts of dysfunction is going to result, right? And so I want to I look at five of them, right? Just two this week. Talk about the fall. I want to talk about two this week. Number one, insecurity. And then number two, uh, I call it hiding, how we like to hide. So number one, insecurity. I think, I think it's fair to say that insecurity, right, our fears, our, in, our insecurity is the, is the number one thing that's wrong with our relationships. Again, whether it's with your roommate, your brothers and sisters, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, our insecurity is the number one killer of relationships. And I think it's on display in, you know, in technicolor here in this passage. Look at verse 9. God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? Now look, this is for free, right? Anytime that God asks a question in the Bible, you need to buckle up. Because he's not asking for his benefit, right? He knows the answer, right? It might be strange, like, doesn't God know where they are? Yes, he knows where they are. So why is he asking? Well, he's asking because he wants Adam to process the question and the answer and hear himself say it. He wants Adam and Eve to think about to think about that question. Where are you? Right? Because if I ask you, where are you now? You've got to think about it. You think, I'm in the bushes and I'm hiding. Right? Um, so the, he says, says, where are you? I'm in the bushes. I'm hiding because I'm afraid. So here's the question. What's he afraid of? Right? I mean, why be afraid? Um, they're afraid because now they have no idea what God is going to think about them. They, they, don't know, they don't know where they stand with God anymore. They're not sure how their actions have, have changed things. What's the dynamic between them now, right? Um, they doubted earlier, before they ate the fruit, they doubted 
if God really had their best interest at heart, and now they're terrified that they might find out the answer, right? And they're really terrified that the answer might be, no, he doesn't. They're about to find out if it's true. And so I want you to take just a second and think about how truly frightening that is, right? If you're Adam or Eve, literally everything you've ever known is you and God. And what you know about God is that he built, he created everything. If you're Adam, you didn't have a wife and he put you to sleep and then you have a wife now. He created every, every animal, every, everything, and he brought them to you so you could name them. That's the guy that you're in relationship with. And now all of a sudden, you decided to step out on your own and not trust him and go against what he said. Right? This is the God that spoke everything into existence. And you just said, yeah, you know what, I'm not so sure I'm on your team anymore. Right? You can imagine the terror that you would feel. Right? Because all of a sudden, you're not sure what God thinks about you. And if you don't know what God thinks about you, then all bets are off, right? Because he can do anything that he wants to. He is the, he's the creator of everything. He can be the uncreator of everything. If you're not sure where you stand, that's a terrifying position. Terrifying position to be in. And the same thing is true for us. This is where I'm going with that. You and I are created to know who we are. We're created as people to know where we stand with God. It's, it's built into who we are. We're built, to, we're, we're built to be able to understand ourselves, to know who we are in relation to something. And that something is God. Right? We all, we all want to have definition. We all want to define ourselves as people and know who we are. But when that relationship with God gets severed, then we sort of get set adrift, and, and then, then we're sort of lost in ourselves, right? And so from, from this point in history on, for thousands of years, even up until right now, Wednesday night, fear is at the heart of man's relationship with God. Fundamentally, in our natural state, our, our basis for relationship with God is fear. And because our, our relationship with God is fundamental to all the rest, that's how we relate to other people, out of fear. But here's the deal. Our hearts are built in such a way that we have to anchor to something. We're all going to look to something to make sense of ourselves. Right? We're going to find something, no matter what it is, we're all going to find something that we're going to attach to and basically say, I want this to make sense out of my life. And so our dysfunction in relationships happens when we, when we do exactly that to our relationships. We look at our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our roommates, whatever, and we say, I, I want this relationship to make sense. I want this relationship. I can't think anymore now that there's like five people here and everybody just left. Um... Let's pray. Um, yeah. We, we all have those questions inside of us. Whether they're conscious or not, we, we all want to know, am I valuable? Do I matter? Um, 
Am I okay? Am I acceptable? Am I worth anything? And what, we're scared to death that the answer is no. Right? So we enter all of our relationships with the fear that, that that's going to be the answer. So how do we apply this to our relationships like dating and marriage? It's easy. Basically, when we do exactly that, when we look to our boyfriend and girlfriend, uh, or, our, you know, whatever, when we try to define ourselves in that, we look to our relationships to make sense of us, right? When we look at our, how we stand with our, our boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, uh, to know how we're doing. We look at them and we think, are we valuable? Are we worth something? And we want to make sure that the answer to that question is yes. And so what we do in our relationships is we manipulate other people to make sure that that answer comes back the way we want it. Does that make sense? We're afraid of being broken up with. We're afraid of being alone. Uh, we're, we're afraid of being embarrassed. Because if those things happen, then that's my definition of me. That's who I am. If I get broken up with, it's because I'm not worth anything. If I end up alone, it's because... I, because I'm not acceptable. And so what we do to ensure that we stay in those relationships is we manipulate the other person. It's what we tend to do. Let me give you a couple of examples if you, if you don't believe me. Ladies, this is why sometimes, it doesn't happen all the time, but when you break up with a guy, I'm sure some of you have had this experience, you break up with a guy and then he starts calling and calling and calling and coming by the house and texting and Facebooking and whatever. And then you finally decide to, you know, answer the phone again, right? And he says something like, you know, you say, look, you have got to quit, right? You're calling me all the time. You've got you to lay off. And he says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm only doing that so that you know that you broke up with somebody that cares about you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm only doing this to show how much I care about you. Okay. There's one other person that he cares about more than you, and that is himself, right? That's a, it's a desperately selfish thing to do, right? He's manipulating you because he's bound his identity and who he is in his relationship with you. And by the way, you don't want to be in a relationship with a guy like that. If he defines himself in you, get out, right? Same thing happens on the, on the flip side. Guys, this is why when you're... you're uh, out, let's say your girlfriend, you go, you go somewhere to a party, and things seem fine, right? And then you get in the car, and it's freezing in your car. Like, the dashboard is frozen over because she's just ice. And you ask her, hey, uh, what's the matter, right? And there's one answer to that question, right? The first answer will always be nothing. It's exactly right. No matter, no matter what's wrong... What's the matter? Nothing. Okay, seriously, what's the matter? All right, and then it's coming, right? And she says something like, well, I just, I just hope you had a great time tonight talking, uh, you know, so you spent the whole night talking to Little Miss What's-Her-Face over there on the couch the whole night. I hope that was fun for you. And you, had, you did not see that coming. You're like, I'm in speech class with her, and I, we were just talking... Uh, you know, and you know, and of course, the response is, "Well, maybe you should ask her out, right?" Um, 
That's the same thing. It's fear and insecurity at, at its finest right there, right? That's the girl finding her identity based in your relationship. And if you're not talking to her, spending time with her, giving her all your attention, saying you're valuable, you're important, we get scared and we get insecure and we start to manipulate people. Um, Secondly, hiding. So we're insecure. It it bleeds out in, in more ways than we can imagine. But we also hide, right? We see that in our passage too. One of the things that we do because we're afraid, we hide from people. And I think the hiding in this passage is, is pretty obvious, right? Uh, we just talked about it. Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve hide themselves from God. So why are they hiding? Yes, it, it's because they're afraid. But we sort of skipped a step in Adam's reasoning that we need to go back and look at. He says that he's hiding because he was afraid, and he was afraid because he was naked or naked. I don't know how to... It sounds weird either way. He was afraid because he was naked. And he heard God coming, right? We've already seen in verse 7, they see each other, uh, they realize they hide, they hide their nakedness from each other. And now they hear God coming and they're, and they're afraid. And they're afraid because now they realize what's always been true, right? That now they're exposed, right? It's, it's obviously, certainly it was physically true, they were physically naked, but it, symbolic, right? That they're they're. They're emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, they're they're exposed before God. They're vulnerable before each other and before God, and they're afraid. And they're, they're, they're now painfully aware that there are things about themselves that they really should hide from other people. Because if other people and God, if they see them, no one will hang out with them, Right? They're going to be cut off from everybody. And so they hide. Their shame and their fear causes them to hide. And we do the same thing, right? Uh, I mean, certainly it's not just me that's had the dream about going to school in your underwear, right? You're all going to pretend like it is just me right now, but everybody's had the dream, right? You go, you go to school, you show up. When you walk in the hall, it feels normal at first. You know, you don't think a thing in the world about it. And then it takes about five seconds, and then you realize, I am in my underwear, and everyone I know is here. What am I doing? Right? And it's, it's, the most terif- it's one of the most terrifying dreams you can have, right? And you can go diving in a locker or whatever it is. It's an absolute panic. Certainly that, certainly that dream comes from somewhere, right? Certainly you can resonate with the fact that, that basically we spend our lives in a desperate attempt to hide from other people. Because there's things about us that we know that if people see the true us, then they won't have anything to do with us. We can't let God see that stuff. We can't let anybody else see that stuff. Because we know that the answer to that question of, am I acceptable? Am I valuable? If they see that, will be, no. (laughs) You're a freak. Right? That's what we're terrified of. And so we go to, we go to, Great links to hide from other people, right? Some of us, uh, we call it being shy, right? Some of us hide from people in that way. We, we literally withdraw from people. We think the fewer contacts we have, you know, I keep to myself, less people will know me. I don't let people on the inside. It's hiding. But it's not just shy people, right? We all do it. Uh, 
really our personality, everything about us is, is really just a big PR campaign so that, so that the world sees the us that we want them to see. Right? As you begin to evaluate the jokes that you tell, the stories that you tell, why you dress the way you do, why you talk the way you do, I think if you're honest with yourself and if I'm honest with myself, what I begin to see that a lot of it is nothing more than hiding from the rest of you. And I want you to see the parts of me that I want you to see, that I think are acceptable, that you'll like. And so we hide from each other. So let me end with this. Those are two aspects of the way in which the fall has messed things up for us. Uh, ways in which it helps us to understand why I do the things that I do, right? And I know what you really want because I want the same thing. We talked about this a little bit last week. But we all want somebody to look at us. This is what, what you want in a husband or wife, you know, and so therefore boyfriend or girlfriend. It's what you want in your friends. You want somebody that you can actually drop your guard and show them the real you, right? Show them all the, certainly the good things that are there, but also show them the bad stuff that's there, the embarrassing stuff, the, the junk that's in your life. You want to have somebody that sees all of that and, and really sees it all, and they still look at you, and they say, I see the good, and I see all the bad, and you know what? I am fascinated by you. I see everything about you, and I think you are amazing. And I love you. And I will never, ever leave you. I know that's what you want. It's what I want. Because we're desperate to have somebody see the, see the junk and still say, it's okay. It's acceptable. And that they love us. So that there's no more fear, no more hiding. And if you want that, and I know you do, I want you to see tonight that it, it's offered to you right here. It's offered to you right here. Look at how this passage ends in verse 21. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve were terrified that God would see them naked in every way and would just reject them. Right? That's what they're, they're scared to death of that. They, they don't know what God thinks of them. And, and this is how this passage ends. He sees them in, in all their shame. I mean, think about how embarrassing this is, right? I mean, they've sewed fig leaves together, right? It's not what you see, like, in the painting, you know, they didn't fit nice. and They sewed leaves together. They looked ridiculous, And God looks at them in all their shame and their embarrassment and all the junk that they have. And not only does he not reject them, but he loves them so much that he, he clothes them. It says that he makes garments of skin for them, right? And so what that means is that something had to die, right? God, God presumably, some animal died for this. Right? There was blood that was shed so that they could be clothed. 
And what I want you to see is that how God deals with his very first two sinners here, thousands of years ago, is exactly the same way that he deals with us. That he covers, he he offers a covering to sinners. He sees us in all our junk and he says, I love you and I'm going to cover you up. And he does so by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, right? Just like blood had to be shed in Genesis, the same is true for us. And Jesus Christ, in his life, his death, his resurrection, was all in our place. So that it's Jesus' blood that covers us. So that we really do have what, what's really offered to us is, is a God, not just a husband and a wife, because look, no matter how good your marriage is, you won't find it perfectly. You won't find somebody that perfectly looks at you, sees all your junk, and still accepts you. You just won't. Find some that are better than, better than others. But God is offering you the absolute perfection. The, the perfect husband. The perfect wife, so to speak, that looks at you, sees all your stuff, and says, I, not only do I love you, I want to marry you forever. And not, not for anything that you've done. That's what God thinks of you. And, and it's only beginning to understand that relationship that's going to impact how we date and how we marry and how good of a roommate we are and those sorts of things. That's what God thinks of you. And it's offered to you tonight. Offered to you always. So won't you take it? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that that you would die for us, that you would live for us, that you would come, even though we have embarrassed ourselves in ways that are unimaginable, that we have rejected, that we have stepped out in our selfishness against the creator of the universe. And yet, you love us so much that you've bought us back, that you've clothed us. God, we pray that that the truth of that grace would reign in all of our hearts. Lord, and if it doesn't, I pray that you would make it so. Father, we thank you for that truth, and we pray that it will impact our relationships here on earth. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.